All right, I am going to be talking today about an article that I wrote for Jackman that came out yesterday. Um, it uh, is, uh, one day we'll have screen sharing on here, but uh, it's called Ben Shapiro's Talking Nonsense about the left undermining families. And it's um, taking uh, the unfortunate Mr. Shapiro uh, you know, uh, just, uh, just uh, thinking about the Andrew Neal interview, uh, you know, Mr. Shapiro. Um, and um, and using him as and some of his comments about uh, same-sex marriage recently as a kind of jumping off point for thinking about a sort of broader set of topics about, um, you know, family formation and... Uh, and what would actually count as pro-family policies and um, how this kind of relates to to what those of us who are on the socialist left want, which is, you know, which is both, um, you know, broadly speaking, you know, a certain kind of baseline cultural liberalism. People should be able to do whatever they want. Uh, you know, um, you, uh, you know, you should restrict marriage to straight people, for example, like uh, Ben Shapiro thinks you should. But also uh, a program of uh, material redistribution of resources. So uh, the occasion for all of this is um, what happened a few days ago, which is that a bipartisan majority of 62 uh, senators voted to advance uh, something called the Respect for Marriage Act, which already passed the House, and uh, but then uh, it's basically uh, voted on whether to sort of consider it again in the Senate and, you know, get it passed in the Senate and go back through the House. There's still a few steps left to happen, but it looks like it's going to happen. And the point of the Respect for Marriage Act is going is to protect uh, same-sex marriage from, um, from going the way of Roe v. Wade, right? Because uh, the same way that... Um, that the Supreme Court uh, recently overturned abortion rights uh, in the uh, the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, which took away the federal protection for abortion rights, which then allows uh, states to um, to pass their to pass anti-abortion laws. Uh, the same way, the currently the only federal protection for same-sex marriage rights is a Supreme Court decision, uh, the Obergefell decision in 2015 uh, that found that uh, state laws against uh, against same-sex marriage violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, um, saying that you, know, you can't, you know, treat people unequally, you know, because they're members of a protected class unless you have some overwhelming state interest. You know, that's basically what that says. Um, and... So without that, there's nothing to stop individual states from passing uh, from passing laws against gay marriage. In fact, uh, without that, the Defense of Marriage Act uh, would would you know sort of be triggered to come back in the books, which uh, people may remember from the 1990s. Uh, sorry, it's like Troy McClure. You, you know, you may remember me from such films as uh, you know you may remember the uh, Defense of Marriage Act from such Clinton era. Um, highlights as the welfare reform bill and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but anyway uh the defense of marriage act uh says that uh states are allowed to uh to not recognize uh same-sex marriages in other states 
And the reason that people thought, you know, that, well, we need some kind of, uh, we need to codify Obergefell, right? In other words, we need to put to enshrine it, this protection of uh, equal access to marriage for same-sex couples into the letter of the law is that in the, uh, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision, uh, Clarence Thomas in his concurring opinion said, yeah, uh, next, here's what here, you know, we should, we should take another look at some of these other rulings that we've done in the past. Uh, the, you know, while we're off, while we're on a roll with, with Roe, you know, we should also take another look at Obergefell. He explicitly mentioned that as what he thinks is, is a bad sort of, uh, instance of equal protection reasoning that the Supreme Court has engaged in the past. And so, okay, you have a Supreme Court justice who's part of the majority that overturned it, even though this is not the majority opinion, this is a concurrent opinion, but whatever. You have a Supreme Court justice explicitly saying Obergefell should be next on the chopping block, so it makes a lot of sense that, uh, that you know, people are starting to get nervous about this and say, well, look, I mean, you might not think Obergefell is going to get overturned, but we didn't think Roe was going to get overturned either. And so uh, we should we should legislatively codify Obergefell. We should enshrine that equal access to marriage rights for same-sex couples into the letter of the law, uh, and also in the process overturn this hideous old Defense of Marriage Act. And all that stuff is what the Respect for Marriage Act, which I think is much better, uh, more aptly named than the Defense of Marriage Act was. That's all what uh, what that does is it uh, is it over you know is. Uh, it overturns uh, the Defense of Marriage Act and it codifies uh, equal marriage rights. And, you know, the really remarkable thing about this, if you look at it, uh, showing how much has changed, is that this was a 62 to 37 vote. I guess there must have been one senator who didn't vote. Uh, because, of course, there are 50 Democrats in the Senate right now and 50 Republicans. Uh, so this means that there are actually 12 Republicans who crossed party lines and uh, joined all the Democrats and voted to advance the uh, Respect uh, for Marriage Act. In fact, Mitt Romney uh, crossed party lines and voted for this, which is which is astounding, really, because uh, Mitt Romney, I mean, he, he used to be, uh, you know, Mormon bishop. I mean, he's a uh, uh, he's he's deep into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, right? The Mormons, which was adamantly opposed to same-sex marriage rights uh, when this was a hot issue in the early 2000s. I mean, they actually poured tons of resources into things like the um, uh, the, the ballot measure to overturn same-sex marriage rights in California in 2008. Uh, so the fact that even Romney uh, voted to advance this Respect for Marriage Act really shows how, how dramatically, in some ways, the, the politics of this have changed over the years. So, um, all of this, I say in the article, has popular conservative commentator Ben Shapiro fuming. Uh, he has insisted that no one who thinks marriage could be, quote, redefined, unquote, to include uh, gay couples belongs in the Republican Party and framed support for equality as part of a left-wing agenda to undermine the family and reduce the citizenry to, quote, atomized individuals, unquote, with no relationship to any social institution except for the government. In one particularly bizarre rhetorical flourish, Shapiro said that even Martians would oppose undermining marriage and family by letting gay couples into the club. Uh, this clip has been going around. He, uh, he says uh, that... Um, he says... Uh, where he says that even visitors from Mars 
uh, would be able to see that human procreation relies on this, you know, traditional relationship, you know, man, woman, child. And so uh, he, you know, so that's, you know, that's what he thinks. Um, so he thinks that would be enough that even the Martians would see that we shouldn't be allowing gay marriage, uh, which is why, you know, Ben Shapiro is so incensed at uh, this Respect for Marriage Act uh, advancing through the Senate. And it's why he thinks it's it's so important to get Republicans to be a unified front to oppose it. Uh, obviously, I think that every single part of this is nonsense. Uh, you know, the institution of marriage is not undermined by letting more people get married. And the left, unlike Ben Shapiro, has no interest in turning people, uh, well, that's maybe too far, but the left, I should say, has no interest in turning people to familyless, atomized individuals. Unlike Shapiro, we aren't interested in telling people how to conduct, how to live their lives. Uh, what we do want, though, is to uh, create a more equal society that meets everyone's material needs, and in so doing, it provides a foundation of economic security that will support anybody who does want to get married and start a family. Um, in, uh, in the decades before Obergefell, I say in the article, adamant opposition to gay marriage was a winning issue for the right, right? It was a wedge issue for them. Uh, culture warriors like Rick, Rick Santorum, uh, senator, Republican candidate for president, who infamously compared letting gay couples get married to allowing man-on-dog marriage in a 2003 interview, a link in the article, uh, reveled in the controversy, and even supposed compassionate conservatives like George W. Bush used anti-same-sex marriage ballot initiatives to get out the conservative vote uh, when Bush was running for re-election in 2004. Um, so in, uh, in 2004, uh, Republicans, uh, even though, uh, you know, to give a very evil dude credit where credit's due, Dick Cheney actually broke ranks on this, uh, but the Bush campaign, part of how they won re-election in 2004, uh, was by putting ballot initiatives on the ballot in a bunch of swing states to, um, to ban gay marriage. And oftentimes... These were in places where not only was gay marriage not legal, but like in some cases it was like already outlawed in like two or three places in the existing laws. And so they, they just put, they put ballot initiatives up to redundantly re, re-outlaw, uh, double, triple outlaw uh, gay marriage in order to get out the socially conservative vote in the uh, 2008, 2004 election. Uh, so, in other words, uh, it was part of the get out the vote strategy for right wing evangelicals and conservative Catholics that like, you know, people would outside of your evangelical service or mass, you know, there'd be somebody with a tabling for the anti-gay marriage uh, ballot measure. Um, and all over the place, they were passing these things in 2004. But in the 11 year, and, you know, I should say, by the way, uh, that while we're at it, I mean, sure, this was you know, this is the right we're talking about, but like mainstream neoliberal centrists weren't much better back then. Uh, for example, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama both officially opposed marriage equality when they were ready for president in 2008. They both took the compromise position, which for that matter, I think George Bush had to, that civil unions are fine, but not marriages. Although many of these ballot initiatives actually did ban civil unions also. They would ban, they'd say like, marriage or anything like a marriage is in between a man and a woman. Uh, 
But public opinion shifted pretty dramatically well before the Supreme Court acted in 2015. So when I did my debate recently with Curtis Yarovin in Chicago, uh, he got this wrong. And I think I corrected him at one point, but then I forgot to correct him the second time he said it. And he was like, well, public opinion only shifted after the Supreme Court uh, outlawed gay marriage. It's like, no, nope, 100% not true. Public opinion had sh shifted well before the Supreme Court acted. So, um, you know, if you uh, if you look at this, um, the by 2011, uh, about 60 percent of the public and polls supported marriage equality. Um, so that was four years before the Supreme Court decision. Now, in 2000, and, uh, well, I guess this is a 2021 number. I was looking in the article. That number is north of 70 percent. More than 70% of the public supports marriage equality, including 55% of Republicans. Unsurprisingly, then, I say in the article, the vote to advance the Respect for Marriage Act was bipartisan. 35 uh, Republicans opposed it, but 12, as I said earlier, broke ranks to vote with Democrats. And even some conservatives who opposed the law, like Lindsey Graham, uh, in order to justify voting against it uh, or you know, if, if we're talking about senators or in order to justify opposing it, if we're just talking about pundits, even some of these conservatives had to pretend that their issue isn't with same-sex marriage per se, but with, quote, religious liberty, unquote, for churches that oppose it. Now, this is bullshit uh, because no law about civil marriage forces any church to do anything. Um, you're, uh, you know, you're uh, like... Hardcore Protestant church down the street could absolutely refuse to marry marry a straight couple because you know the the bride is a Protestant is a Catholic or whatever you know they 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 can and do do stuff like that all the time <laughs> that's that's totally that's totally fine right laws about the legal institution of marriage don't require any priest or pastor or rabbi to uh, to to bless a marriage that's that is just never how any of this stuff has worked in fact. Um, the Respect for Marriage Act uh, specifically uh, includes provisions that are meant to address religious liberty concerns, which is one of the reasons that actually some churches that are opposed to same-sex marriage, like, in fact, credit where credit's due, Latter-day Saints, um, actually supported the law, even though the Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist Convention were still opposed to it. But Ben Shapiro will have none of this, uh, eva you know, evasion, right? He's he's not interested in pretending that his only issue is religious liberty. In fact, I say in the article, he's angry at progressives for assuming that what he calls the argument for marriage, by which he means the argument against letting gay people get married, must have a religious basis. So here's what he said in another clip that was going around from a conversation between Shapiro and his fellow conservative, Matt Walsh, uh, best known for not understanding how conceptual analysis works in his uh, movie, What is a Woman? Shapiro says, I am highly annoyed by the constant derogation of non-religious arguments into religious arguments. This is what the left loves to do. They love to say, you're pro-life. The reason you're pro-life is because of your crazy religion. So maybe we can respect your crazy religion. Well, that is not the argument for marriage. The argument for marriage has literally nothing to do with religion. You could be a a visitor from Mars, and you can see that human procreation relies on man, woman, child. It's not particularly difficult stuff. So reading from the article, I say, uh, speaking for myself, uh, following the thread of this argument actually does strike me as fairly difficult stuff. 
does Ben Shapiro think that straight couples will have fewer kids because gay couples are allowed to get married? It's like, oh, well, marriage, you know, marriage isn't worth much because, you know, look at all these gay people doing it. So what's the point of being the person I love having kids together? Uh, does he think marrying gay people would marry appropriate with people of the opposite sex if only the state withdrew legal recognition from their current marriages? Does he know about adoption and in vitro fertilization? All questions, as, uh, as Donald Trump would put it. Many people, many people are asking this. Um, it is true, though, as Shapiro has bemoaned, that some people will simply choose not to get married in a society that doesn't trap anyone in loveless marriages by making it difficult to get divorced or by forcing women to economically rely on men, and that even married straight couples with access to birth control don't always choose to have kids. That's called freedom, and it's a good thing. Uh, not everyone wants the same things out of life, and that's fine. But, I say in the article, more than enough humans want to start families that no matter how much our society liberalizes in some such questions, the visitors from Mars really are really not going to have to worry about having a continuous supply of humans to probe. Uh, we will keep making new humans. Do not worry, Ben Shapiro. Uh, that it is a very, very, very common thing for people to want to have kids. Um, in fact, a great, and this really gets into the meat of the article, the sort of most important point I wanted to make here, a great many Americans who would love to have kids or would love to have more kids than they do, don't do so for straightforwardly economic reasons. A survey published in 2018 by the New York Times found that among people who either had or expect to have fewer kids than they wanted, by far the most common reason was, and I quote, child care is too expensive, unquote. In fact, six of the top seven reasons, I should say respondents were allowed to select multiple reasons, these don't all add up to 100, uh, were straightforwardly economic. At the top of the list, at 64%, was child care is too expensive. Um, just under that, at 54%, is what more time for the children I have. Under that, at 49%, is worried about the economy. Under that, at 44, is can't afford more children. Under that, at 43, is what it be, uh, waited because of financial instability. Under that, at 39, is uh, not enough, not enough paid family leave. leave. And just and rounded off the top seven at 38, is no paid family leave. So six of the seven are straightforwardly economic. Child care too expensive, worried about economy, can't afford more children, financial instability, not enough family leave, paid family leave, no paid family leave. Right? Those, those six are all straightforwardly economic reasons. The only one that's not is what more time for the children that I have. And to the extent that many of the respondents said uh, what more time for the children I have, would have more time if they could afford reduced working hours. That takes us from six out of seven to seven out of seven. And while we're on the subject of reduced working hours, I mean, my God, the United States is the only country in the developed world, literally the only one. And what if only a tiny number of countries of any kind that does not legally mandate that employers give people even one goddamn day of paid vacation per year? So if the people who are responding to that survey aren't having as many kids as Ben Shapiro wants them to, 
it's not because marriage and family have somehow been devalued by giving gay people equal rights. It's because we live in a neoliberal hellscape. Our society does indeed reduce people to atomized individuals, but the left isn't doing that. In fact, a left agenda seeks to directly address this problem by securing higher wages, better conditions and benefits, and more free time for working people. At least, uh, I'll just read off the last couple of paragraphs of the article, uh, and then if anybody anybody wants to call in, this would be a good time to do that. Um, at least if we're talking about the actual left, not just anyone to the left of Ben Shapiro, the left wants people to have paid vacation and paid family leave and universal daycare. And for anyone who does want to be a stay-at-home parent, we want a strong labor movement to win everyone the kind of wages it would take to make single parent households or households where one or both parents work uh, part times. So they can spend more time with their kids, a much more realistic possibility for a wider range of the, po the population. If you actually want to help people start families, that's what it looks like. You don't need to legally dissolve gay people's marriages to make any of that happen. And you can leave the Martians out of it. Okay, um, as I said, if anybody has a call, I will I'll start taking uh, calls from, uh, from the queue right now. Um, you know, I, I do think, um, you know, I will say going back to the broader issue, I'm fairly confident about that, uh, given that it was that 62 to 35 vote to advance the bill in the Senate, and given... Um, and given that, uh, given that the Respect for Marriage Act already passed the House, I do think it looks like within, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, it's possible that there was another vote that I missed, but uh, I don't think that it's been, the bill itself has actually been voted on in the Senate, and it would still have to go back to the House and conference and all that stuff. But I think all of that's going to get done in the lame duck session, and then probably uh, this one is just going to be good. Because uh, I actually won the composition of the Senate going forward is going to be the same for the next two years as it was for the last two years, more or less. It depends a little bit on, you know, retirements and, uh, you know, some of these people are very old. Uh, they could die. And so that could change the balance of partisan power over the course of the next two years. But, you know, even if it goes from being what it is now, which is either 51-49 or 50-50 again, depending on whether Warnock uh, wins, his, uh, wins his runoff, um, even if it goes down to, like, I don't know, uh, let's say Warnock loses his runoff and then, like, two Democratic senators die uh, and uh, they're, in, they're in states where a Republican governor appoints their replacement, that still, that still takes us to... Um, you know, that would still just be like a 50, 48 Republican Senate. And that's, um, so that's obviously nothing like a, a veto-proof majority. And Biden would most certainly veto any attempt to overturn the Respect for Marriage Act. So, um, and also more generally, I mean, like there is a reason, you know, like obviously 12 Republican senators voted for it right now in the lame duck, uh, I don't think the sort of outlook of Republican senators is going to change very much in the next two years regardless. Uh, so I don't think it would even have to be vetoed because I don't think that would, I don't think overturning the Respect for Marriage Act would pass. 
And that's all just kind of the immediate political logistics for the next couple of years. I think the broader issue is like even Republicans who who did vote against it. I don't know how much appetite they really have for for coming out of the wrong side of a 70-30 issue in the future. So I, I, I expect that probably the political incentives are going to be for the Republicans to just leave this one be once it's been voted in. Um, and, um, you know, the Supreme Court might still overturn Obergefell because they're not really, you know, they're they're much more insulated from popular pressure. I mean, that's part of the reason our hideously anti-democratic system gives so much uh, power to the Supreme Court in the first place. Uh, but uh, but I don't I don't think I don't think Congress is going to reverse itself on this. Uh, I think I think this one's probably pretty safe uh, politically, which is why, you know, the the most important point for me in, in all of this is less like the um, the respect for marriage act per se, although that's good. I mean, I'm, you know, it's one of the only good things <laughs> that's happening legislatively right now, and I'm glad it's happening. Um, but I think the more important point in the long term is the stuff about family, because I remember like. Um, you know, a little over a year ago when I did my debate with Charlie Kirk in Phoenix, uh, he is, um, you know, he was just saying that like every other word, you know, family, 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 family. Um, and it seemed like a lot of his explanation of, of his, of his conservatism was, was, uh, I like families. Uh, and, you know, Ben Shapiro is doing the same thing here. And in so you know, insofar, you know, as they can sort of portray the left as being, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, godless abortion loving sexual degenerates who, uh, you know, who don't want people to start families, you know, they get a lot of mileage out of that, you know, politically. Um, but, and of course, the, the solution to that isn't to throw anybody under the bus. It's not, you know, I think stuff like marriage equality and abortion rights are really important. I don't, I don't think that we should give an inch on any of that stuff ever. Uh, but I do I do think that it is important in a larger sense, saw Eric Haynes put it this way on Twitter, not to, to sort of concede uh, family or religion, for that matter, as, as adamant and atheist as I am, to the right wing. Um, and to just sort of, you know, like there is a strand of you know classical Marxist thought that like people say stuff like oh we should actually want to abolish the family, which I find deeply unhelpful. Uh, I think if you go back to the handful of times where Marx or Engels are talking that way, um, like certainly the passage of the Communist Manifesto, they're being a little they're being kind of playful about it. They're like oh we communists are accused of wanting to abolish the family, but actually uh, capitalism has already abolished the family. Um, and it's certainly true that, you know, capitalism in many ways does undermine, uh, family structures with things like, you know, pressure to get people to work all the time and never spend a minute with their families and, uh, and, and, you know, to, to move, to find work, you know, to, to, um, uh, all of that stuff, right. You know, so moving away from family and all that. Um, but, um, you know, but there are places where Engels certainly later will will talk that way. There is again this sort of strand of classical Marxism that's like, oh, we should sort of want or see as a goal having no longer having at least sort of nuclear families or or you know having um, or like you know seeing family structures as being oppressive and you know we want to get away from those and towards more sort of collective forms of child rearing or whatever. And 
I don't find any of that stuff helpful at all. Uh, I actually think there's a sense in which, you know, it's all deeply misguided, uh, which is not to say that there aren't certain forms of traditional family structures that can, that can be oppressive. They certainly can, uh, especially when those are embedded within inegalitarian, like legal and political institutions, right? Like, so an obvious example would be coverture marriage, which was the, the legal doctrine up until historically about 10 minutes ago that many of the legal rights and obligations of married women were subsumed under their husbands. Um, and obviously, you know, there we're talking about a legal institutional arrangement that's like unjust and oppressive, and it's good that we don't have that anymore. And, you know, if, if you have like a patriarchal society where, you know, I don't know, husbands beat wives or children and the state doesn't say, says, ah, that's none of our business. Uh, that's obviously bad. That's an unjust society. But um, if we're not talking about things like that, if we're just talking about, you know, voluntary arrangements, then I actually think it's a sort of very deep mistake in terms of what politics is even about from a left perspective to think that, oh, we we have any view one way or the other about what kinds of family arrangements people should be in. Uh, I don't think any of that has anything to do with politics, really. Um, you know, my view would be that politics is foundationally about how, uh, about political and economic power, about, um, about distribution of material resources, about what the laws are, right? That's the subject matter of politics. I mean, this is why as much as I love G.A. Cohen, I'm on the Rawls side of the Rawls-Cohen divide when it comes to like, what is the theory of justice a theory about? Uh, and if, as Cohen acknowledges, most classical Marxists were also on the Rawls side of that. Uh, you know, he says, yeah, all of my Canadian communist uh, relatives would have, would have been on Team Rawls in, uh, in this dispute. Uh, he doesn't use that as exact words, but he says words to that effect in his book, If You're an Egalitarian, How Come You're So Rich? That it's like, no, I think a theory of justice is a theory about how social institutions should work. Um, and, you know, a family can be a sort of borderline instance of a social institution. But, you know, I think it's, it is if there's either sort of economic power or legal arrangements like coverture or both that are sort of institutionalizing traditional family arrangements. And sure, that's bad. But it's not bad that lots of people want to have traditional families. That has nothing to do with what politics is about. Um, you know, the goal of, 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 of the left project, the goal of emancipatory politics is to free people up to live their lives however the hell they want to live them, not to tell them what kind of lives they should want to live. So in, um, in other words, like, yeah, I mean, if some people want to, um, you know, have, you know, if people want to have traditional nuclear families and, you know, the, the wife wants to be a stay-at-home mom and they want to have 10 kids and take them all to 5 a.m. mass, uh, you know, three times a week, um, then, you know, okay, you do you. That's fine. I mean, I, I think it's the business of just social institutions to make sure that the kids get a decent education and that like once they're, once they turn 18, they have, they, they have other options and they can leave if they want to. But, uh, but you know, I don't, I don't, you know, that's the personal domain, right? If some people want to have the kinds of family structures I just described, 
great. If other people want to live in polyamorous, lesbian, Wiccan communes, great. They do them. Right? They, uh, there's none of that is anybody's business. That's not what politics is about. Um, you know, the the point of you know the point of left politics is to provide meaningful freedom for everybody to live their lives as they so choose. And what makes it meaningful freedom to live their lives as they so choose is that uh, people have the, the economic support that they need in order to do so. So like the liberal philosopher John Stuart Mill has this famous phrase about experiments and living. And, you know, my point about all that is always just like, okay, but like experiments and living are like experiments in physics. If you tell some graduate students that they're free to conduct whatever experiments they want as long as they can, you know, scrape together the money to purchase their own large hydron collider, um, that doesn't do them any good, right? What I want are fully funded experiments and living. In other words, I want to uh, I want to provide everybody with the foundation of economic security um, that they need in order to that they can live however the hell they want, right? So under you know, in the neoliberal hellscape in which we live right now, sometimes it's hard to keep together good relationships because of economic pressures, uh, people having to work all the time, people having to move for work. And conversely, sometimes people stay in bad or even abusive relationships because they can't afford to move out. You know, that's the stuff that I think it's the job of politics uh, to uh, to fix. So that's the, that's the sort of fundamental distinction that I would make, right? I mean, this is why... Um, even though you know I published a couple articles in Compact, I disagree so adamantly with their their statement of editorial vision, um, where they say we want a strong social democratic state to uh, to you know whatever the, whatever it is that they say to uh, uh, go against the you know libertine left and the libertarian right. You know, not you know I don't. I mean, obviously, I'm a member of the libertine left insofar as you know as as I'm a. I'm a leftist, and and I'm I'm not particularly interested in a super traditional uh, lifestyle. I'm an atheist. I, I I you know I don't know having a kid might not be the worst thing, but you know I don't want ten of them. And if I had them, I would I wouldn't be taking them to five a.m. mass. Um, that uh, but like in that like I don't want a strong social democratic state to enforce a particular set of social values whether it's a traditionalist set or a libertine set, I want a strong social democratic state. And ultimately I want to go beyond social democracy to all, you know, full on socialism uh, because I want people to have the economic support they need to, uh, to live, uh, to live their lives in whatever way they want to live. And again, I think just kind of relentlessly emphasizing the point that real for pro family policy doesn't mean forcing people to start families if they don't want to, but what it does mean is it means uh, taking off the financial pressures that stop people who do want to start families from being able to do so is the point that the left needs to absolutely just relentlessly emphasize. And that is what I see as the main point of the article. Okay, um, I don't see anybody in the caller queue, so I think uh, we're going to, uh, to wrap up there for today. I just want to say a couple things before I go. Uh, one of them is that on the main show on YouTube tomorrow night is going to, we're going to have RM Brown on. Uh, so because RM is on, we'll certainly be playing some clips of right wingers, probably overlapping with some of the stuff we talked about today. Uh, have some fun with that. 
Uh, and I believe we're also going to have historian and guerrilla history of co-host uh, Adnan Hussein although we're still talking about that, but I believe that's going to be what's going to happen tomorrow night. Meanwhile, tonight at uh, so a little over four hours at eight Eastern, uh, we are going to be doing another uh, movie breakdown live stream. So completing the trilogy of Robert Eggers ones. We started with um, the uh, the witch or sorry, the Vavitch. And then we uh, we went to um, we did the Northman last week. So we're going to be finishing up on uh, the lighthouse, which is probably my favorite of the three. Um, so we're doing that tonight. It should be a very full house. Uh, we have a few different guests for that. Uh, we're going to have uh, the same two core people we've had for the first two, uh, Jordan Dubin and Ryan Zickgraf, but we're also going to have um, we are also going to have Ryan Lake, and we are also going to have for his first appearance on GTAA uh, my brother David Burgess, uh, who's a film guy. Uh, so that should be that should be fun. So looking forward to that. Uh, look out for that at eight, uh, and we'll be back with another of these probably in a day or two. I have an article coming out. Sorry, I was going to say we're probably, we're going to do another one of these probably in a day or two. I have an article coming out in the Daily Beast um, called "The Left Needs a Better Message on Crime." So whenever that comes out, they're saying probably Monday or Tuesday. I'll do one of these to talk about that. Uh, I will see people then. 